Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Well, good morning. Morning, Elizabeth. The rest of you, up your game next week. Um, uh, a few years ago, uh, an Amer- American philosopher called uh, Jacob Needleman uh, brought out this book. He brought out this book called uh, Why Can't We Be Good? Uh, and there should be a picture of it. Essentially, the book, um, what Needleman argues is that uh, we live in an age and in a time where Educators and teachers uh, write countless books and lessons about how we should live. Uh, Politicians give speeches about how we should live. Uh, There are a thousand and one kind of self-help books about um, how we should help ourselves and what we can do to to be better. And what, what Needleman says, though, is the real problem is that We know how we should live. He he says, uh, the problem is not that we don't know how to live. Like, for the most part, we kind of generally know that, that selfishness is not kind of the right lens and the right way to operate. That 
um, we shouldn't really steal, or, or we shouldn't lie, or we should have more integrity, or... And he says, the problem is, not that we don't know how to live, the problem is that for whatever reason, we just can't seem to live as we know we should live. We just can't seem to be good. And so what he says is, uh, what it creates in us is this um, instinct to create like a, a facade, a mask, an image of, of who we present to people. And that what happens is all of us then have this great fear that if people were to really see us, that if people were to really know us, if people were to know our failures and what we think and what we feel and what we do, if they knew what we were really like, that they would leave us. And today's story really goes back to where does that all come from? Where is that birth from? Where does it all begin? And the scene opens, if we're thinking of this like, like a play, like a drama, like a Shakespearean kind of work, the scene opens, the curtain lifts, and we see a serpent who opens with a lie. In verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And, and here's, here's the lie. You see, often, uh, I guess, um, the, the cartoon is painted like we imagine a, a grassy hill with kind of a tree on it that Adam and Eve kind of are plucking the fruit from. That's often the image that's given. Uh, but really, they are in the middle of an orchard. They're in the middle of a garden. Uh, this is not a single tree. This is an orchard. Genesis 2.9 says this, that the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So, so there are all kinds of trees. Of all kinds. So it's not like, oh, God, I hate apples, it's like, well, there's pears there. You know, like, there are all kinds, and it's, it's this banquet, and God's like, feast, eat, enjoy, multiply, tend, tend to it, care for it. But, but one tree, and one tree only, I ask you not to eat. Just one. And the serpent says, did God say you can't eat from any of these? Almost as if uh, the great gardener, the one who's, who's been so generous, right? The one who's created this with his hands and, and with his speaking and his breath. The one who's given them everything and the, the beautiful fruit on the trees. That this one then is almost like he's trying to rob you now? Like he's trying to steal from you? 
and in what Sinclair Ferguson has become in this moment, in this scene, in the taking of the fruit, something happens that becomes as natural to us as our DNA. A lie that becomes so natural to our own hearts and minds, and the lie is this, that if we were to give ourselves completely over to God, we would be miserable. That if, if we were to give ourselves completely over to God, we would be miserable. And Ferguson argues that from this moment in history that has um, so shaped and crafted and moulded our hearts that if you were to cut a part of our DNA, you would see it there. And that this is behind really every sin thereafter, after this moment. That if we were to really give ourselves, we would be miserable. And so selfishness pervades. That, that, that is what is behind us, kind of being hesitant about giving generously, isn't it? Well, if I was to really give generously, then, you know, what if I was miserable? You know, that, this is the lie that is behind the husband that clicks on the website instead of loving his wife. This is the lie behind uh, the young woman who, who um, when she feels down, just purchases stuff online in order to make herself feel better. This is the lie behind why you and I too often fail to forgive and to turn the other cheek when we have been wronged. And we might... We might try to justify it, this is just justice and I'm standing up for righteousness. But really it is that if we were, we believe the lie that if we were to really give ourselves completely over to God that we would somehow miss out. And so the woman sees the fruit of the tree and that it is good for food and pleasing to the eye and is desirable for gaining wisdom and so she takes it and here is what we see that in that moment she makes a decision and that is that this is more desirable to her than the gardener himself that, that this is more appealing, that this is more attractive, that this is more desirable than the one who walks with us in the cool of the day. To, to, for that kind of power and knowledge. And so creation fractures. And this is the reality of sin, is we too often have these Sunday school kind of frameworks where we just think that sin is just the good things that I don't do and the bad things that I do. And, and 
that's fine and all right and good even in a Sunday school thinking, but we don't grow it into maturity as, as the Bible does, where sin in reality is always personal. It's always personal and it's always a value comment. It's always a comment on value. So Eve in that moment goes, this is more desirable to me than God. That this is more pleasing, that I think this will satisfy more. That the arms of the serpent and his lie and what he promises is more attractive to me than the the great gardener and the one who has given me everything. And this is, this is the great tragedy of sin, is it not? That again and again we choose other things over God. And it is always personal and it is always the personal rejection and it is always a comment on the value of God and that this is more desirable than that. And the great tragedy of the scene is the promise that they will be like God. And here's why that's, here's why that's so sad. Because they already are like God. The, the snake says, eat, eat from this fruit and you will be like God. They, they already are. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, literally like five verses earlier, it says that God created them in His own likeness. And and one of the the stupidest things about sin is this, is that it promises us what we actually already have in God. It promises pleasure, it promises intimacy, it promises satisfaction, all things in which God already promises to us if we would just come and rest in Him. And yet we go, no, we'll, we'll have them from here instead. Despite your goodness, despite the fact you have never once let us down, despite the fact that you have been so generous to us and not once has your word failed, I will believe the word of this snake that I just met or the desires and thinkings of my own heart. And so, so here is what sin does. When we sin, we go... We are thinking we know what is best and what is going to work best over what God says is going to be best. And here's the idiocy of that. It's, it's, it's like an idiot trying to tell the director of a film what the film is about after just seeing the split, the, the slightest blip of a second of the film. So it's like you watch Braveheart and and you watch the split a second and you try telling me what it's about. A guy with uh, black hair, yeah, great. That's that's about all you get. And you're trying to tell the director, no, 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 no. This is what it's about. He wrote the film. 
He knows how it works. And they trade what they already have in God for a lie and for ruin. Because sin is always the same. It always promises pleasure, but never satisfies. It promises pleasure, but brings disaster. Like a fish, like a fish who who sees the hook and sees the bait on the end, and, and it looks desirable, it looks pleasing to the eye. Oh, this will give me wisdom. And bites down on it. That is what temptation, that is what sin is. I don't know whether you've ever been fishing. Trevor has. Uh, And uh, I remember one time um, going fishing and it just felt like I was catching the same fish all day. Like, I would take it off, it was too small, and throw it back, and it's like three, four minutes later, oh, I've got something, pull it back, it's the same fish. And it's like, again and again, and it's like, what is going through your mind? Don't you get what happens? Don't you get how this works? You're not going to last very long. And that is us. We are the fish that bites on the hook again and again. When has sin satisfied? When has it fulfilled us? When has it brought pleasure? Only has it ever brought shame and guilt and distance. Uh, I remember one time when I was uh, younger... Um, I was hungry, and as a teenager, when you're hungry, you go, Mom, what's there to eat? And Mom says, eat an apple. The worst. (laughs) And so I grab an apple, and I remember I went, I sat in the lounge room, and I bit into the apple. The apple looked great, but when I bit, I I pulled away, and it just was like all fluffy and gross on the inside, and, and when I looked into the apple... I kid you not, the whole apple was just filled with mold. Like a worm had got in or or something, and it was just like, there isn't even any apple flesh in here. It was like, it was nightmare, right? And my mouth is filled with mold. And, And this is what happens. This is the horror of the fall. And the disaster of sin promises pleasure, but it never delivers. And so the woman, seeing that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, so I think we're meant to feel kind of like the absence of, of where's Adam in this? Where's Adam in this? Almost like we're meant to feel like, 
well, is he off like naming animals on, on the other side of the orchard? And then um, like Eve's gone exploring and just found herself in this position. No, 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 no. Adam is right next to her. Absent, he might as well be. Silent through it all. God gave him the commands. God gave him the instructions. Where's his correction? Where's his rebuke? Where's his protection of Eve? And what we see in the fall is the complete reversal and upheaval of God's created order. And it's cleverly done. So when you see, uh, when God creates things, He creates things. There should be a slide for this. When God creates things, He creates Himself at the top as the authority that oversees, protects and serves and rules over all. And He creates man... to to protect his wife and to serve her. And he creates Eve to help and support Adam. And together in their role and leadership, they are to steward over and protect and serve creation. And what you get in the fall is the exact opposite. You get the serpent creation at the top You get man failing to protect his wife with the truth of God. You get the wife failing to help and serve her husband and leading him into deceit. And together, they sit all over God and his authority. And what is the result? The result is this, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And you see the fruit, the true fruit of sin is shame. And you see the shame, and you see the relational breakdown fracture throughout, throughout generations. goes out into their marriage. It goes out into their children. goes out into their children's marriages and their children's children. From this scene, the rest of the drama unfolds. From this, play, from this part in the play, you see the spiral downwards of man claiming to have authority, to know better, to know what happens. To claim that I know what is best, and if I was to really sit under God's authority, we would be miserable. That this is more valuable, this is more attractive, this is more desirable to us than God. Like cancer going through a body or locusts through a harvest. Disaster, misery, and shame run rampant. See, we like to think that our sin only affects us. But the the reality is sin always has a communal impact. Sin always has a relational impact. Always. Always. 
And this is, this is, for me, one of the things that I find the hardest about sin. To some degree, it'd be one thing if my sin, I only copped the, the injury from. It is, it is far more tragic to me that my wife suffers injury from my sin. That my sin uh, causes injury to my son causes injury to you guys. That even sin in private always has a relational outpouring. Always has the shattering elements. Always causes disaster, distrust. And so God says... What have you done? What have you done to my beautiful creation? And, and punishments start to be handed out. And, and in the midst of the punishment from the judge, we get verse 15. Verse 15 and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What? Talking to the snake, the judge, the great gardener, the creator, points forward in the drama points forward to a scene to come when a greater Adam will crush the snake's head. When an offspring of the woman will come and the snake, you, you will strike his heel, you will wound him, you will draw blood. But in doing so, your head will be crushed. And, and we, we jump forward to the scene in which we find ourselves in another garden, in, in, in another orchard, with another man standing before another tree. And, and though this man's knees tremble, He chooses obedience before the tree. Though his heart quakes and tears fall from his eyes, he protects his bride, the church, before the serpent. That the tree that would bring death he climbs that, that the tree, his tree, might bring life. Let me end with this. George Herbert reflects on this moment and writes a poem from the perspective of this gardener, the great gardener who has become a greater Adam. And in this garden... 
than to be strung up on a tree. He writes these, this poem from his perspective. All ye who pass by, behold and see. Man stole the fruit, now I must climb the tree. The tree of life to all, but only me. How about we pray? Our Lord God, we, we ask that you might, might give us your grace to feel the weight of sin. That we might not minimize it or, or downplay it. But we ask that you might give us the grace that we might not seek to simply cover it up. That you might give us the grace to not wither in despair, but grace to cry out for mercy. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you might forgive us for the times in which we seek to trust our own judgment over you and for the times in which we say this is more valuable to us than our relationship with you. Forgive us. Help us to walk in trust and faith with you. To image you to those around us. And we thank you. We thank you for what you did on that cross. And that in him, in Jesus, the greater Adam, we might find salvation. Amen. We're going to um, have a song in a moment. Um, let me just encourage you um, to spend this time thinking about where is it that you need to apologize? Where is it that you've been downplaying with sin or trying to cover it up? And where is it that you need to ask for forgiveness? Remembering the cross remembering our failures and remembering his grace to us. Let's spend this next time reflecting and praying to him.